Welcome to This is Type 1, real-life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for over 25 years. I'm a life coach, fantasy author, and engineer. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. Hi, I'm Jesse Tugney, and I've had type 1 diabetes for over 10 years now. I'm currently a student at Montana State and learning more and more about how our world works. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my future and learn everything I can about it. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, feature members of the type 1 community who are just like you, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 147 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, we're talking again with Molly Johannes. Before we get into the interview with our first repeat guest, Jesse has a win for us. Yes, I do. So one full year, almost one full year of college and two rugby seasons behind me. And my full rugby year is done. So we got second place overall in the whole thing. And that's just a huge improvement for where we started this season. And so proud of the team. So that was just my win. It was awesome. We did great. I'm proud. So that was the one. That's it. <laughs> and you went from total newbie beginner at rugby to being good at rugby. Yes, I am a starter on our A team now. So yeah, that's so, awesome. <laughs> thank you. My fail is I forgot to bolus for lunch and some food this past weekend. And then I ended up going into the 200s. I think I peaked at like 220. And I didn't even notice it. And it was because I was just getting really into editing my website. I recently redid my homepage and my about page. And so I was just like really into it and didn't even feel the high blood sugar coming. And so when I glanced down at my insulin pump, I'm like, oh, oops. (laughs) And then I ended up actually over bolusing. It wasn't a rage bolus. It it had given me an auto bolus a little bit before I, I looked at it. And I didn't see that when I bolused. So I had too much insulin and then ended up crashing down to 49. So that was fun. That's my fail. All right. And the hack this week is to take a day off and kind of celebrate your successes when getting done with something like really big. So this week getting done with rugby, I'm not going to be playing over the summer because there is no summer league, which is really, really sad. And it takes a minute to adjust to like, oh, this is an adjustment. This is something new. So just take a day off, feel proud of yourself, and figure out something else to do, I guess. Molly Johannes has the honor of being our first repeat guest. She first joined us for episode 28 to talk about her blog, Hugging the Cactus, and her life experience with type 1 diabetes. We recorded and released that episode literally the month before the world shut down with COVID, and a lot has happened for Molly since then. Today, she's back to share her transition from her job in fintech to working for one of our favorite type 1 diabetes nonprofits, College Diabetes Network. Molly, welcome back. Thank you so much, Colleen and Jesse. And I have to say, I, I feel really honored to be your first repeat guest. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So for our listeners who haven't heard your first episode with us, can you give a brief overview of your diabetes story? Absolutely. So my diabetes story began way back December 1997, Christmas Eve to be exact, So definitely diagnosed on a very memorable occasion. It was sort of the the sort of situation where 
it wasn't a huge surprise for my family. My mom and her sister, they both actually have type 1 diabetes. So they kind of knew what symptoms to look out for. And I was exhibiting all the classic ones, you know, going to the bathroom a lot, just acting really hungry, kind of cranky, moody. So they they knew and it wasn't a huge surprise to anyone. So that's when the whole diabetes story began. It's been 24 years already. It'll be 25 this Christmas Eve, which is, I feel like I should do something special to celebrate that. But it's it's been, it's wild. I can't remember a time in my life without diabetes. So it's just part of who I am. I am in the same boat with not remembering anything else diagnosed at age two. I feel like it's almost like a blessing in disguise in a weird way, just because it's not like we had this it was an interrupter at the time for sure, but probably more so for our families than us individually. I feel like if I was diagnosed, and I'm just speaking for myself, but if I was diagnosed in the teenage years, whew, I don't know how, that, how much more difficult it would have made things, but I'm going to guess that it probably would have been a lot more complicated. Yeah. And not even just diagnosed as a teenager, but also once you get into your 20s and your 30s, when you have that established experience of life quote unquote, normal, and then it just gets turned upside down. Yep. And even after 24 years of having T1D, like it still finds ways to surprise me and (laughs) throw some curveballs at me. So there's always lessons to be learned, which is, you know, a good thing, but sometimes a bad thing. Yeah, that's a a lesson for our listeners where you if you've been diagnosed for only a couple years, it's still going to be hard later. (laughs) It does not get that much easier. We just get better at handling it. 100%. So when we last spoke on the podcast, you were working as an editor in the fintech industry. So how did you go from that to working for College Diabetes Network? Well, also, and you said this in the intro, can you believe like we literally last spoke when just before the world shut down. So (laughs) I'm just thinking about that and remembering what my life was like a couple years ago. And it was very different. I had just moved back home to Massachusetts from Virginia. I had stayed there for about a year and I was there for a relationship that didn't end up working out. And so I came back to Massachusetts heartbroken. I'd had a rough 2019. I'd already been working remotely for all of 2019 because my employer at the time was kind enough to let me work remotely from Virginia while I tried to get a feel for how things would go down there. So when I came back, I was very sad trying to get back into the swing of things, being back in the workplace the, you know, for full time. And then boom, <laughs> the world shuts down. So in, in this pandemic happens and I just remember being so anxious. You know, I like, like everyone else was, everyone was really worried about what was going to happen next. But I'm already a very anxious person and that thrown in with T1D and we didn't know what sort of impact COVID might have on people with diabetes. So it was a huge um, point of uncertainty in life. But then we sort of got used to things. We started to figure out how to live around COVID and we adapted as a society for the most part. And that's when I was starting to realize, you know, I don't have to stay at my job, the one that I'd stuck with since I'd graduated college. It seemed like a natural point with everything changing in the world. Why not make one other change in my life to seek a different opportunity? And I I loved my job in the fintech industry and I learned so much. And I'm so lucky that I have, you know, long lasting friendships from that job. But I also realized I want to do something that feels a little bit more meaningful something that will make me feel like I... Because not to say that this job wasn't fulfilling in the fintech industry, it was filling in a different way. 
but I wanted something where I could kind of put my heart and soul into a little, into it a little bit more. So it, I wasn't su- looking super hard for a new position, but then I just happened to see something posted by the College Diabetes Network online. And I was like, wait a second, <laughs> this could be my big chance. You know, I love CDN. I was a student. I was a chapter leader at UMass Amherst 10 years ago. CDN's always been great to me. They've introduced me to all sorts of opportunities, connections, friendships. So all throughout college, I was a student leader. But when I graduated, I was a volunteer for them as much as I could be. I've written blog posts for them. So I've had a relationship with them for years. So it felt very natural to, you know, kind of apply to the job, see what happened. And I was lucky enough that they chose me to fill the position. So it's been, it wasn't exactly organic the way everything happened, but it just, it just suddenly the opportunity was there and I took it. So it was awesome. That still sounds really organic because you did all of this upfront work without even knowing it by getting involved when you were in college and volunteering and then just kind of laying that whole groundwork to be like, Hey, I love you guys. Look at all this stuff I did. Hire me. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. It helps that they were familiar with my resume, my backgrounds. They knew what my strengths were. So that was really good. But yeah, I guess in a weird way, it did kind of, I like without thinking about it, all of the stuff that I'd done as a college student and even freshly graduated, it did lead me down this path. And I really do attribute a lot of my professional success to CDN and being a college student and them setting me up for success and knowing how to be a young professional. So it's, it's been really great to be part of their team. What do you do for them? So I am their community engagement manager, and this means that I run all of their social media. I coordinate the email um, newsletters that we send out, all those communications, and I just other various odds and ends that really bring me closer to the diabetes community. And that's one of the bigger reasons why I took the job. It wasn't that like the roles and responsibilities were very appealing to me, but the biggest factor was connecting with the diabetes community because I've always loved doing that. And this is a way to give back to college students who, you know, they, I was in the same position as them at one point in life, you know, not too long ago, I can still remember being a very confused college student, overwhelmed, not sure how to handle the transition from high school to college and managing diabetes on top of that. So it's really neat that I can actually work with people who I really relate to (laughs) thinking back on that time in my life. Just as a personal question, does that go away eventually or does the confusion just stay for the rest of like ever? (laughs) I I will say, you know, I'm I'm approaching, I'll be 29 next week. And there are some days where I'm just like, where where did the time go? I still feel like I am 16, 17 year old Molly who's like fresh out into the world. It's just as, as you get older, there's different life experiences that you encounter as you're bound to like for me, during the pandemic, I also bought my first home, a condo. So that was a whole learning experience too. So I just think of it, I think the nice way of, of putting that is life is just one giant learning experience. <laughs> At different ages and stages will come different opportunities and we just roll with it. Adults say you'll understand when you're older. And then when you get older, you understand that we don't actually know that much. Yep. I What Colleen said, I could not agree more with that. <laughs> Yep. Even now I'm like in certain situations, like where's the adult? Oh, wait, that's me. (laughs) Yeah. I, and I still like, I thank goodness for the fact that both of my parents are very close by, like they're a couple miles down the road. So if I genuinely like 
need <laughs> their opinion or advice on something, they're able to come by for the most part. So that's really lucky to have have parents to <laughs> help guide me as I, you know, enter the third decade of my life soon. So yeah. That's really cool. So you're still running Hugging the Cactus, posting blogs every couple of days. How have you seen the blog and your audience kind of grow since the pandemic started and since we last spoke to you? I, When I first saw this question, I really loved it because it just got me thinking about how how people consume content has changed so much in the last few years. You know, we've seen Instagram really be like the popular platform where people are it's really beautiful, like the the different kinds of curated profiles and content that you see out there. Like people are using that as a storytelling platform, but then there's TikTok and people love like the short form videos. So it's kind of funny because those aren't my strengths. Like I, I can do that for work. I can be professional and do that, but to tell my diabetes story, I don't, I, I'm not good at taking pretty pictures <laughs> and putting them up on Instagram. Like I'm not good at doing a TikTok video about my diabetes, but writing is something that I can do. And that does feel natural to me. So having hugging the cactus around um, throughout the pandemic was really nice. And what surprised me the most is that even though Instagram and TikTok are undoubtedly the two platforms where people consume the most content, diabetes related or not, I and I was really surprised. My numbers have doubled <laughs> since the pandemic hit. Like people are still coming to my blog and checking it out. And I was actually just looking at statistics before, you know, talking to you two. And I just couldn't believe how in 2017, you know, I was lucky to get a couple hundred hits. And through 2020, 2021, and into this year, I've got 4,000 hits in a month, which to me, so to some people that might not seem like a lot, but to me, that's significant growth. And just to see it kind of have a nice steady uptake, it's almost like <laughs> if your blood sugar is climbing very slowly and steadily, of course, we don't like that. But in terms of my blog, that's been really gratifying for me to see. Absolutely. That's got to be like the greatest feeling in the world to like see that long-term like growth. Long-term growth absolutely was kind of the goal from the get-go. I mean, I didn't go out there starting this blog really to like... I, I My goal was not to monetize it or be the next big diabetes blogger. Like I knew that was, I would have to aim a little bit lower. I just wanted to get my story out there. And if it resonated with someone, then that was awesome to me. That That's always been my goal. That will continue to be my goal. If someone just ha- can relate to me, because diabetes is a chronic condition that can be so isolating and it can make you feel like you're you're on your own. But you're not, you know, there's a whole community out there. And it's it's nice to know that people are going through the same things that you're going through. So having hugging the cactus around as my medium to tell my diabetes story, I just feel really grateful that I'm I'm able to maintain it still. I don't write as often as I used to anymore. But when I can get a good blog post up there, like I do that and it's it just feels good. So how is your audience kind of changed over time like anything that you is there anything that you've noticed that is like unexpectedly changed from your audience I don't think from my audience as much it's not as apparent to me through because people don't often stop and leave comments on my blog posts I do have one one guy who's well known in the diabetes community who regularly leaves comments on my posts which I always appreciate because he's really funny but in terms of overall like audience demographics or shifting, I haven't, it's been very consistent for me. And what I will say is that 
when I created a hugging the cactus Instagram a few years ago, again, it's not like it's not the nicely curated profile that you see some other people doing, but it's typically just like an image that explains what my blog post is about. And then, you know, link in profile to read the full thing. And what's been cool is to see people on Instagram slowly connecting with me more and more there. And it just seems like it's all ages. And it's, it's very cool to see how the diabetes community just kind of migrates and has a presence on all the social platforms. You know, you can kind of go to one and whatever you're more comfortable with, like there's going to be your community there. So that's, that's been really nice to see that consistency. One of your recent posts is talking about how type one diabetes tests more than blood sugar. What are some of those other things you would say that it tests and how could we learn how to deal with them? Yes. So that blog post in particular was talking about testing my memory because I I had forgotten to bring, I think it was my meter somewhere with me. And it was like a very rookie mistake that I'd made. But (laughs) when I saw this question, I was like, oh man, like diabetes tests everything. It tests my patience, my emotions, sometimes like my physical and mental well-being. Like it is just something that is just kind of like a child that is just constantly tugging on your arm or your hand and being like, but I need this now. Oh, and I need this. I need that. And it's so hard to like <laughs> coexist with it. And you you do so much to appease it and make it happy. But diabetes is always going to find a way to test you. And it's it's so much more than your blood sugar. Like there's, <laughs> if I just think about all the individual emotions that I can test on, on a single given day, like it, it, it's a lot. And I think people don't really realize that when they think about someone living life with diabetes, they they don't know that there's so much that we have to think about on a given day, let alone a week, a month, year, you know, all of it. So that's in writing that blog post, that was a very therapeutic one because I was able to talk about diabetes testing one aspect of me as a person. But when then when you think about all the others, kind of like, whoa, like this is a big deal. It's it's a burden. And it, diabetes is a burden. Doesn't mean that we can't live fulfilling and healthy and happy lives. We certainly can, but it does test that as well. So yeah. My image is of diabetes sitting in the passenger seat in a car. And then every time something happens, it comes over and it yanks at the driving at the steering wheel. And so we yeah. have to yank it back. And sometimes we end up feeling like diabetes itself is in the driver's seat. And so I like talking about it, how, no, we're in the driver's seat, Yes, shove diabetes back in the passenger seat, let it have its moment, but it does not grab the wheel. 100%. I love that metaphor. Like that's exactly like you have to remember that at the end of the day, diabetes is going to do what it wants to do. And it's about how you handle it. And it's about your attitude and remembering that, you know, hey, at least you can try again tomorrow, you know, like with each new day, it doesn't have to be like you're stuck in the same mindset or patterns. You can just keep trying new things until you figure out what works for you. So it's about coexisting with diabetes peacefully. Yeah. Sometimes it is a a testy toddler and you just have Mm -hmm. to put it like, go go take a nap. (laughs) (laughs) Go take a nap, diabetes. Yep. That's when you like silence all of your devices. So you don't have to hear the alarms. Or or how about the times where you can actually like go somewhere or like not be wearing all of your devices at once? Like I've heard people in the diabetes community call that like it like if you get to shower without wearing like your insulin pump sites if you have a pod or your Dexcom CGM, like it's it's so freeing. It's like, oh, this is what it's like. Even if it's for a short window of time, it's still nice. It's that's what we call a naked shower when people are like naked showers. Don't you take showers naked anyway? It's like, no, this is different. Yes. Yep. <laughs> 
So what are some diabetes lessons that you've learned in the last two years? Wow. In the last two years. So it's funny because I think a lot of people think about now compared with a few years ago to like the, the before times, like I call it the before times, you know, things before COVID. And I just feel like I've experienced so much in the last couple of years. Like, you know, I was kind of saying how I, I bought a condo. Um, I have a puppy now. I have a new relationship that I'm in that's like the best and healthiest relationship I've ever had in my life. And I think about all of those changes individually and then like diabetes kind of being along for the ride. And I feel like the most important lesson I've learned is kind of routine. You know, diabetes thrives on a routine. And even if you break your routine, it's okay. Like you can still adjust and like reorient yourself and your diabetes. But it's been really eye-opening to see how much my diabetes needs consistency in terms of like waking up at the same times every day, getting a workout in, you know, eating a balanced meal or things like that. The very like brass tacks kinds of things where it's just like, oh yeah, like these are things like that we should be doing anyways and like getting enough sleep. That's another one. But it's just, it's the importance of doing those things all the time, not just every, every so often. So I think that has been the biggest thing because before COVID, you know, and, and, and even before 2019, I was going into an office every weekday. I, you know, had a very strict, hey, this is when I wake up. This is when you work out, shower, get dressed, go to the office. And then it was just all of that, you know, everyone's standard Monday through Friday, nine to five type of situation. And then when that wasn't around and I was working from home, like I have been for the last few years now, I was kind of like, okay, like this is the new normal and I have to adjust and, and figure out what works. And slowly but surely, I'm getting, I'm still getting to a place where I have a routine. You know, it's, it's hard. It's been hard to, uh, <laughs> deal with, um, my puppy. She's one and a half now, but in the beginning, it was a, kind of a nightmare <laughs> just dealing with her and like figuring out her needs and what she wanted and how I could best take care of her. But all in all, like it, it's just been kind of nice in the last, I would say year or so is when I've really been settling into more of a consistent routine since starting at CDN. And it's, it's been really nice to have coworkers who have diabetes and like who get it. <laughs> so that's, that's been another silver lining of this new job is that, you know, it's work from home. People understand what it's like to have the same chronic condition and they know the importance of routine too. So that's definitely the biggest lesson I would say. So I'm kind of, this next one is kind of like just, I was talking about like college and diabetes and me kind of picking your brain a little bit about college and diabetes and, yeah. you know, that kind of a thing. So what are some, what's something that you would tell college you like with, about diabetes or about like general life skills that you either probably wanted to hear back then or, you know, think would have really helped you in the long run? Oh, yeah. There are a few things I would go back and tell college me. I think one of the biggest things diabetes related is that I really wish I had been on an insulin pump in college. And I kind of go back and I'll kick myself when I think about it sometimes where I think of all of the situations in which it would have come in handy and how much better I would have been able to manage my diabetes. Like it would have been much less of a burden. So that's that's one thing to to not be stubborn because I was so afraid to try new technology. Like it took me a long time to feel comfortable with a continuous glucose monitor. So, and that was really that I, I got on that when I was in college and that was a huge deal. 
So I wish I'd realized like that would have made a big difference. But I also wish too that I, I think I could I would go back and tell myself like first of all it, it's going to be okay. Like you you're, you're going to be a little bit lost figuring out some aspects of being an adult because it's all it's a huge confusing thing to navigate. But I would also remind myself like you have the best support system in the whole world. Like I am so lucky again talking about my parents, but like they are always there for me. They answer any question I have, no matter how silly sounding I think it is, or they might think it is. And we just have a really good relationship. So I think I would have, I would tell myself like lean on this support system, but also know that this support system is what makes you capable of handling things on your own and being independent. You know, my, my mother, she did so much of my diabetes management, like the far away type of stuff, like refilling prescriptions, setting up doctor's appointments for me. She did a lot of that throughout college. And it really was until I graduated, like when she kind of stopped. And I, I wish I'd had this, the, the guts to say to her, you don't have to do this for me. Like, let me be accountable for it. Because then when I did start doing it on my own and I had the health insurance stuff to figure out, oh my gosh, what a nightmare. Health insurance is one of those things. It, it, I remember like the, the weeks leading up to my 26th birthday, I was freaking out and I didn't know what to do. And it was a lot of, reading and studying and asking questions. And I'm still learning new things about health insurance. You know, it's one of those things where it's going to change as careers change and life happens and all of that. So definitely going back to tell myself that in college, I feel like I could have better prepared myself for taking on some more of this responsibility. But in the end, things happen for a reason and things things happen to the way that they did. And I'm, I'm still, I've made out pretty good, I think. <laughs> I'm getting through in terms of health insurance. I've got a great plan and, you know, I figured it out. And I, I would tell any college student too, like you can figure it out, like have, have trust in yourself and, and faith in your ability to do stuff. The other thing about insurance is that your doctor is such a like advocate for you with the insurance companies. My insurance right now is not wanting to cover my Novolog. And so I have not received an, an actual covered shipment this entire year. And it's April 25th as we're recording this. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> side note, have your doctor go to bat for you because she's currently still going through the whole slog of insurance. They cover everything else, but they're like, you know, you can't have Novolog. I'm like, why? Yeah. Oh, God. That, that's so frustrating. And I mean, I, that's something too, like having a good healthcare team on your side. Like I would say that too to any young adult. Like if you're not happy with your doctor, it doesn't have to be just be your endocrinologist. If there's any member of your care team that is not answering your questions, or if you have concerns and they're just not listening to you, then move on <laughs> for sure. I should take my own advice because there's a couple of different doctors that I would I would just love to find someone new, but you know it's hard. Location can restrict you sometimes, and you know it depends how far you want to drive to see a, see a doctor. But I think bottom line is like try not to settle. If you have options out there, then try to pursue them. That is a big lesson I've learned this last couple of months since you know turning 18 19 ish it's a lot like sometimes you just don't i'm gonna sound very young here but you just don't vibe with people sometimes you know like the no just, yeah that's that's tr so true yeah. like yep. and that's okay like you guys can have like different perspectives on things and doctors are like really smart but sometimes their approach just doesn't go with your lifestyle and yeah that is a big lesson i've learned <laughs> 
And, and well, let's also bear in mind too, doctors are super smart there and, and they're amazing. However, my primary care physician didn't know how to use Google images during an appointment that I had with him. He, I had to literally be his IT person in the room as he was looking something up. I can't even remember what it was related to, but I was kind of stunned because I'm like, you're this brilliant man who knows so much. And he had just spent like 10 minutes explaining to me, like, you know, something about biology. And I was like, uh huh. Uh, like nodding and smiling. He was using all these big words that I didn't, I was like, I can't follow this. But then he didn't know how to use Google. And he didn't know that the red X in the corner <laughs> could get you out of the browser. Like, whew, that was a oh little, a little frightening. Yeah. <laughs> There's a difference between the 60, 70 plus year old doctors who are set in their ways. And then the 20, 30, yes. 40 year old young physicians who are like totally on top of it. Yep. What Jesse said, like, sometimes you just don't vibe with their personalities. And it is totally okay to acknowledge that and find someone that you do gel with like that. And that's, that's totally something that I would advocate anyone to do. Yeah, I had another thought to go with that. But that's a whole nother conversation. So <laughs> yeah, okay. So what's, what was another thing? Oh, when you kind of transitioned like semesters and stuff like that and your whole class schedule changed, work schedules changed, what were some things that made it easier for you to kind of help with those blood sugar transitions? Because, you know, sometimes you have to like walk like yeah. five miles, two miles a day just to get between classes and or food. So well, what were some things that you did to help with that? <laughs> so I just, I remember going into, you know, choosing classes for each semester. I would always look for classes that were during the day. I did not want to be the person, if I could avoid going to a nighttime class, I would a hundred percent avoid doing that because at that point in my life, like I, I grew up eating dinner at like 5, 5.30 p.m. every night. <laughs> so I knew that I would not want to be in a lecture hall at that time. Like, and I needed to kind of stick with what my body knew and what I knew personally. So I would kind of shop for classes with that in mind. I was really lucky my senior year too, because I was able to work out a schedule where I had Mondays and Fridays off. So if I wanted an extra long weekend, I could get that. And I was able to do all of my homework on those days. I could go home if I wanted to on those days. And I could also, I had my pick of, we had this amazing recreation center at UMass Amherst and all sorts of fitness classes. And I could go to whichever one I wanted on those days. So I was super fortunate to have that work out. But just, just knowing how you personally thrive, like if you're a night owl and you can stay up really late and go to a later class and wake up late in the morning, like absolutely go for it. I think even when I was in college too, I was definitely sticking to a much later schedule, like in terms of just staying up late and then, you know, going to bed, maybe like 11 or midnight most nights and then getting up by like eight or nine the next day. So just knowing how you personally thrive, like a rough idea of, of your ideal outline of a day is huge in selecting classes and setting up your schedule. But if you can, if you can swing getting at least one day free of classes or mostly day, mostly free, like you might have one lecture to go to and that's it. Oh my gosh, I strongly advocate for it because even just going to that one class that one day, sure, you might be like, oh, well, this day's almost off for me. It's not completely off. But once you go to that lecture, you're done. And then you have this whole beautiful day ahead of you where you can do whatever you need to. So I, I totally strongly encourage people to do that. I was not sophisticated enough to get Monday and Friday off. But <laughs> if you're planning to try to find a, like a, a single class on one of those other days, the earlier the better. 
Cause then you get it over with and you don't have to think yes. about it the rest of the day. Yep. I, I love that. It's, it's so nice just to be able to know like, okay, this is my one obligation. And then even if you don't get much else done that day and that's totally fine. Hey, at least you went to that one class that you had to go to and then you're good. Jess, you have other questions? No, that was it. Also, I'm, I am fixing something on my pump now <laughs> talking about diabetes. So <laughs> this is perfect, but yeah, it's bound to interrupt at some point, right? Yes. I, this is so bad. When I was in high school, I had this per- professor. I had sent out an email and I talked to him in person. And I was like, just so you know, I'm diabetic and my pump sometimes goes off and it makes this weird noise. First exam that we take out of the year, it goes off within the first five minutes and he stands up and he goes, whose cell phone was that? Oh, no. And small little freshman me raises my hand and I go, that was my insulin pump. I send you an email saying it might go off and I'm sorry and I'm going to keep taking my test now. And he brought it up like when I graduated. He was like, just so you know, you handled that very well. I was like, <laughs> scared. Well, that's really intimidating for any yes. any student to be in the classroom like that. And that's one thing I'd like to add to you know what I would tell myself in college. Register for accommodations. Yes. I, I have always been that person type of person where I'm just like, oh, just because I have diabetes, I don't need any extra special, like, right. I don't need someone to take care of me like that. But it is so worth it. Like, I've heard stories from our students at CDN, where it's like, oh, because I registered for accommodations, I was able to get an air conditioner in my dorm room to help keep my insulin cool. Yeah. And to me, that would have been <laughs> like the, the best thing ever, because I lived in a tower one of my years at, at UMass and boy, heat rises, right? So... <laughs> I remember being very warm of, for a couple of months there, but yeah, just, just to be a little bit humble and just accept like accommodations are there to help you. They're not, you're not taking it away from someone else by registering for them. You're simply giving yourself something to fall back on. Should you have a low in the middle of an, of an exam, or if your pod fails in the middle of a class, like then you at least have that in place. So accommodations all the way. And that's just like also, sorry, I wanted to add to this too. It's also like in case somebody needs to go to bat for you and Mm -hmm. your professors aren't listening to the way that they should be like with diabetes and like validating like, oh, I'm you're diabetic. Okay, cool. How can we fix this? And it's it's just that like extra guarantee that somebody else is also going to stick behind you when you're advocating for yourself. So yes, yeah. It did not occur to me to even ask for accommodations and I somehow managed to get through it. But if I had to go back and tell my younger self, yes, <laughs> get accommodations. Yes. Cause like there were a couple of times like Jesse telling us that story reminded me of, you know, there was one psychology class that I took. I think I was a junior at UMass at this point and a huge percentage of our grade was based on pop quizzes. So you would never know when those quizzes would happen. And, you know, you just hopes that you would be in that lecture. So I never missed that class except for the one morning that I did because I had been fighting multiple low blood sugars throughout the night. I overslept and didn't show up until like the last five minutes of the class. And I remember running up to the professor afterwards and I was like, professor, was there, was there a pop quiz? Did I miss it? Like, can I make it up? Like, I'm so sorry. I have type one diabetes. I was low. And I remember he cut me off in the middle of the explanation. He said, there was no pop quiz, but also like, I get it. My child is type one. And I was like, Oh, 
what are the odds? Like, thank you. Like, I was so relieved that like, first of all, there wasn't a pop quiz. But second of all, he I didn't even have to explain it. Like he knew exactly what had happened. I think he realized too, it wasn't a huge lecture. It was maybe about 100, 150 students. And I think he knew that I was there every day. Like you start to recognize faces in the audience. And I I was always responsible. So I was always in his class. So like just knowing that it worked out and I felt very lucky, but also there are times that I've heard where it doesn't work out and it becomes a huge deal. So having accommodations in place is just kind of that security blanket. And that can be a really, really nice thing to have. And on top of that, go to the the professor's office hours. Even if you don't feel like you really need it, it helps to build relationships with those professors so that when you are in a situation like that, and maybe you don't have the right accommodations, they might still understand a little bit better if they know you outside of the classroom. Yes. Very good idea. So what has been your favorite part about working with CDN so far? Uh, I have a lot of favorite parts about working with CDN so far. For starters, I love my coworkers. Um, a few of them I have known for since the beginning of CDN, really, because CDN started 11 years ago. And I've been lucky enough to, to know the CEO and founder since then. A couple of long-term employees too have been there for a while. And it's been really, what's been really neat is that a couple of employees who were chapter leaders when I was a volunteer or when I myself was a chapter leader, they now also work for CDN full time. So it's been really cool to see all of us like, we all had different journeys, but we all ended up in the same place. So that's been really neat to see. But then also the other part that I just really love is going back to what I was saying earlier, just connecting with the diabetes community, but especially the young adult community, because young adults are opinionated. They are going through a lot. There is so much on their plates and they're just trying to figure it all out. And to me, like I have a lot of respect for that. And to be able to connect with some of our students, some of our leaders, it's been really neat to hear all of their stories and, you know, things that they want to pursue in life. So that I think is definitely the, the best part of my job is just knowing that directly and indirectly, like CDN is making a difference on their lives. And that's just really humbling and exciting for us. It, it really shows that what CDN does for people, it's, it's a huge deal. <laughs> I know, I know that I I speak for myself and what it, what CDN gave me. Like they gave me my first internship opportunity through a connection they had, and that right there, like basically my resume just filled out because of opportunities that happened from that one opportunity there. So it's just really neat to see CDN impacting as many, even more young adults than than it did a few years ago. That's so good to hear. So, what is your like best advice for college students with type one diabetes in like today's world? My best advice for college students with diabetes now would be to breathe, <laughs> to breathe, relax, remember to practice self-care um, because a lot of this is coming from, from me and knowing that I always had a plate that was way too full in college. Um, so I think just taking a step back to remember, this is a very short window of life too. Like when you go off to college, I mean, I met some of my best and closest friends in college. And what I wouldn't give to be able to go back for one weekend away from distractions, away from all the noise of like life now, and just like have all of us hang out and, and enjoy a meal in the dining hall or go visit different parts of campus together and just reflect like that. It's such a fast paced period in, in your life. And I think it's so important just to enjoy every moment you are, you are there to get a degree and earn that piece of paper, but you're also there to, to learn what it's like to 
to be a young adult in, in the society and just enjoy it, take it all in and do your best. And what, what else can, I mean, what, I just feel like that's just the huge thing. Yeah. What are some upcoming projects you're pretty excited about? Whew, so I've got a lot. <laughs> I guess I haven't learned too much from college days because I still have a very uh, full schedule, but it's all good things. So besides maintaining Hugging the Cactus, I've got blog posts that go up every Monday and Wednesday each week. I am also part of something that's not diabetes related. <laughs> I am doing this YouTube channel called Dungeons and Drams. So for anyone who is a Dungeons and Dragons player out there, it's funny because I didn't know anything about Dungeons and Dragons or D&D until about a year and a half ago when my boyfriend was like, do you want to play a game? And I said, okay, like, isn't this kind of like this thing that like nerdy people do? Like my only, my only knowledge of it came from the TV show Stranger Things. And like all of the kids are like playing it in the first season. And I was like, I don't know what, what to expect. So my boyfriend completely taught me everything that I need to know. <laughs> Although it's still, there's still a lot to learn because it's such a huge, it's, it's huge knowledge base, but essentially we started playing in a campaign. It was my boyfriend, myself, and a few of my now former coworkers who all wanted to learn how to play. Cause you know, during the pandemic, what else were we going to do? Everyone took up new hobbies during the pandemic. So it was kind of the ideal time to, to learn something like this. And with one of the former coworkers, uh, my friend Bill, he really liked it. He wanted to learn more and he really immersed himself into everything he needed to know. Now, Bill also has a YouTube channel called The Whiskey Dictionary, where he talks about whiskey and he knows everything about whiskey. <laughs> and he's got a large subscriber base there. So he knows his way around YouTube. He now knows his way around D&D. So the, the idea came to him one day. He was like, what if I do a D&D campaign with a few of my whiskey YouTube personalities, plus one of my friends who played in this campaign that I was working on for a full year. So I was one of those friends who was asked to play. And I do that now. It's 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 on an ongoing basis. It's pretty much we're getting together um, Monday or Tuesday evenings each week. And we live stream for an hour and a half or two hours. And it's just a bunch of malarkey and good times. And <laughs> it's been really fun and interesting to to put myself out there like that because it's not, I'm not there talking about diabetes. And like that's my comfort zone. When I put myself out there, it's through a podcast like this or a blog or some other platform where I can talk about my diabetes story. But doing it on YouTube and like having it be completely unrelated to diabetes and it's me just playing as this character I've created. I've got to say, it's kind of a nice escape from the diabetes stuff. <laughs> so that's that's been one of the huge ongoing projects. Um, but otherwise, I'm really excited because in June, I will be going to New Orleans for the American Diabetes Association's 82nd Annual Scientific Sessions. So it is a conference that will happen. Anybody and everybody in the diabetes space will be there in terms of, you know, the the researchers and the just all these big personalities. So I'll be there on, on behalf of CDN. I'll be going with a couple of, of my coworkers. And I'm really excited because one another reason why I took the job is because I wanted to go to diabetes conferences and I wanted to see people. And of course, I knew that wasn't going to be happening most of 2021 as you know the world was getting 
closer and closer to being vaccinated. You know, it felt like things were going to start to open up again and be normal, but not quite everything made it. So this will be the first time for a lot of us, you know, going to an in-person conference. And it's, I think it's also virtual. There's a virtual element to it as well, but you get so much more from that in-person and that FaceTime uh, connections. So I'm really excited about that. I think it'll be an awesome time. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Is there anything else you would like to share with our listeners today? Yes. So you can follow me or look at my blog. So I'm www.huggingthecactus.com. I'm on Instagram, Twitter. Instagram is Hugging the Cactus. Twitter is mollyjill underscore T1D. A lot of that is just kind of me resharing my blog posts. But every now and then I'll pop on and I'll go to Instagram stories and I'd be like, hey, I'm having a really frustrating day and I need to vent. So it might be that kind of content, the relatable stuff, as I like to call it. Every now and then on Twitter, I'm trying to be better about remembering that on Wednesday nights, there is the diabetes social media advocacy account that does like one hour long Twitter chats that are really fun. So you just kind of participate, answer questions and interact with people in the community. So that's really cool. But yeah, I I would love to say that I'm on TikTok as well, but that's only on CDN for now. <laughs> I, I do not have a Hugging the Cactus TikTok that I maintain yet, but may, maybe one day, you never know. And of course, they can follow uh, College Diabetes Network social channels and you'll be the the wizard behind that. Yes, just I don't wear a pointy hat and I don't have a wand, although I'd like to, but <laughs> wouldn't that make it more fun? I'm sitting here and I have like a bunch of Harry Potter, like <laughs> I've got like the cute little um, bobblehead toy thingies, the Funko Pop things. So yeah, add magic into my life that way, but not with any literal things. <laughs> Final question. What house are you? Okay. Do you have any guesses? Jesse, guess. Can I, I'm going to say Hufflepuff just because you seem so sweet and like, <laughs> Yeah, Thank you. But so it's lovely the, and so it's the sweet. complete opposite, Jesse. I'm Slytherin. <gasps> no! Oh my god. <laughs> wow, that was way off base. Huh. I how do you think I felt? I remember getting sorted. It was when Pottermore was originally released a few years ago. Yeah. And I took the I took the whole sorting hat quiz and I was so excited. I was like, oh my gosh. I don't know what I'm gonna be, but I'm really excited. I was hoping for like Ravenclaw because I like to think that I'm super smart. Yeah. But then Slytherin came up and I was like, I never related to Harry Potter more when he's like under the sorting hat. And he's like, not Slytherin, not Slytherin. Yeah. But that's, that's where I got sorted into. I've embraced it. I think it might be, might come from the fact that I guess I'm a cunning person <laughs> in terms of like, I'm just trying to like, <laughs> I can optimize my it. time and yeah. make sure that I'm doing things. I try to do things efficiently. My boyfriend says I could work on that, but. <laughs> I can see it though, with how you've described how much you put on your plate, you're very ambitious. Ambition is like probably the number one Slytherin trait that I identify with. Like I always want to like do better, be better. And I know I'm not striving for perfection because I know better than that. In terms of being perfect, there's no such thing in diabetes in real life, none of that. But you can strive to be really good at certain things. And (laughs) I remember I, I actually had this conversation with my parents over the weekend. I was like, I just want to be really good at volleyball because I just joined a league and I am not good at it. I don't know what I'm doing. I've never played before. And they're like, well, like just try and like, it'll be okay. So that's, that's my new ambition is to be really good at volleyball. And I know I won't be perfect, but I'll try my darndest. It's it's okay. Yeah. Whenever we try something to begin with, like we always suck. Yeah. Like suck to start. Literally. 
okay, I play rugby. This is the first year I've played rugby. I just want to say, if you put your mind to it, you can literally do anything. Apparently, I'm good at it now. So just know that information. (laughs) You sound surprised that you're good at it. (laughs) No, it was a very big surprise when I... Because we, our coaches will film us sometimes like from the Mm -hmm. sidelines or we'll get cameras out. And I was watching it one time. I was like, oh, is that me? I have the ball? I'm still running? (laughs) What am I doing? (laughs) Like, am I actually doing the thing? Like, I, I am. Yeah. Okay, then. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're, you're actually doing the thing. You're actually good at doing the thing. So, and we got to celebrate the the little accomplishments too that come with that. Because maybe you're not good at it right away, but at least you're trying. And isn't yeah. that like the, the all we can ask for? Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, that's try. the most important thing. So, yes, going up. Have fun with the volleyball. That's the most important part. <laughs> yes, I, I need to bear that in mind for for this week's <laughs> game. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really glad we actually got a Harry Potter ender question that just went on a whole tangent. <laughs> oh, I can turn anything Harry Potter into a full blown conversation. So I'm the right person for another that. hour. <laughs> <laughs> Undoubtedly. It's been amazing talking with you again, Molly. Thank you so much for coming on again. Thank you both so much, Colleen and Jesse. You guys are so easy to talk to. And this is really, really fun. Maybe you will be our. Third repeat guest sometime. Ooh, we'll see how this one goes, right? (laughs) Fantastic. All right. right, And our question for you guys, what are some of the biggest changes in your diabetes life from the pandemic? And then what have you learned from Molly today? That is it for this episode of This is Type 1. Thank you so much again to Molly for coming on as our first returner guest. And maybe she'll be our first third person or third repeat on the show. That was pretty fun. You can visit the show notes to find all of the links that Molly mentioned. And you can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com slash episode 147. That's the number 147. Apply to be a guest by visiting thisistype1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade. I'm on all social media as at inspiredforward, and our email is colleen at inspiredforward.com. And our podcast page is this is type one pod. That's the number one. If you look us up on Instagram, that's what it'll pop up under. I'm personally on Instagram as at JJ underscore Crystal K-A-T. So please feel free to send me questions, comments. You know, let us know if you want to be listening on the show. What's your favorite episode? Just make sure you let us know your listener. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to listen next week for another episode about real life with type 1 diabetes. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.